Good morning. Everybody awake? Yes. Good. Glad we're awake on the front row. Y'all better be because y'all up close. Thank you guys for being here. Hey, if this is your first time worshiping with us, we are so thankful that you chose to worship here. In the back of the seat in front of you is a card. Uh, we call our Connect card. And today, if you'd grab that, fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable with. We actually have a gift that we want to give you today in the lobby of our church at our next steps. So take that Connect card, drop it by there, and they'll give you your very own Lindsay Lane East t-shirt so you can rep this campus all over the place. All right. So we got that available for you today. If you're watching online, we also invite you to fill out the connect card that's in the description of the video. If this is your first time worshiping with us as well. And so, man, I'm so I'm excited to, to present God's word for us today, like to show you what I've been wrestling with this week, um, really for two weeks. Um, this was the sermon I was going to preach last week, and then God just began to, to stir in my heart. But uh, to go back even further, if you missed last week, this was a sermon series that was, was scheduled for 2020. Um, I was laying out um, a series that we we're going to preach before Easter called the hospitality of Jesus. And we we're going to look at what is it, how did Jesus model for us what it looks like to live in a hospitable way that everyone around you is drawn to you and feels comfortable and welcomed by you. And then COVID, y'all know what that is, right? Y'all heard of that? COVID-19. You may not have heard of it, but it's a, it's a thing, okay? Um, that ruined everything, and so this sermon series didn't get to get preached last year. Well, I, I just felt like God wanted us to focus on this leading up to Easter, leading up to Easter on a, on a Sunday in which, uh, well, now for us, a Saturday and a Sunday in which we're going to have more, more guests on our campus than we will any time out of the year probably. Um, it's an opportunity for us to just re-up and, and, and decide for ourselves to be hospitable this year um, at Easter. And so... Um, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 11. That's kind of the verse that's provided a springboard for us last week and will this week. Um, Jesus is there and he's, uh, he, he has two accusations, two names that get thrown at him. Uh, last week we looked at kind of the first of those, which was uh, Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunk. And we talked about how Jesus was neither of those things, but he lived his life in a certain way. And honestly, as I said this last week, he loved to party. Like Jesus loved to be around people. He loved to spend time with people and, 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 and be in situations that were not super duper holy all the time, like share a meal with people and just spend time. And so uh, those insults from last week and the insult that we're going to look at from this week were designed by the Pharisees and whoever was hurling them to be condemning. They were supposed to show something Jesus was doing wrong, but in fact, they did the opposite. They actually showed something Jesus was doing very, very right. And so I'm excited uh, to be able to open up God's Word again with you. So Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read a little bit more than I did last week, beginning in verse 16, just to kind of show you a little bit of the context of, of what's going on. So I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, we'll come back. Jesus says this, To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to other children. We played the flute for you, happy, happy-go-lucky music, but you didn't dance. Then we sang a lament, a sad song, but you didn't mourn and join in with us. In the same way, John came neither eating or drinking, and you said he has a demon. Then I come, the son of man, eating and drinking, and you say I'm a glutton and a drunk and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that not only in Christ do we have a Savior, but we also have a model. Uh, God, a model of what it looks like to live in this world 
this broken, uh, sinful world, yet shining the light of the kingdom of God and living as part of that kingdom and inviting others to join in. Father, I pray that today as your word is continued to be read from and expounded on and God explained, I pray that you'd give me wisdom, God, you'd give my, my mouth the words to say, and God, give all of us words to hear or ears to hear your words today. Um, God, teach us to know you today and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dive in here. Uh, last week, again, we saw that glutton and the drunk. We saw the actions of Jesus' hospitality. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, Jesus called here a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There, there's a reason behind that. And so we're going to look at three situations today, three specific times when Jesus is referred to in some form or fashion, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we're going to look at where that complaint is made. We're going to look at the context that's going around it. Because each time there is a reason behind why Jesus was called that in the moment. It's because he was spending time with people that everybody around him was uncomfortable with. And so what you'll notice is that each one of these instances brings clarity to the focus of Jesus' ministry of hospitality. And I believe in turn lays out a standard by which we're supposed to focus on too. So focus uh, number one is this, if you're a note taker. Jesus focuses not on the broken. Wait, I butchered that. Jesus focuses on the broken, not the content. There we go. Jesus focuses on the broken, not the content. So right after Luke tells uh, about this, so the same interaction that we just read about in Matthew chapter 11, Luke brings up in Luke chapter 7. Okay, so right after that, right after we hear of this uh, John the Baptist and Jesus, and Jesus says, y'all ain't happy no matter what, y'all like a toddler. If you ever had a kid, right? Daniel would say, I want to treat and I give him ice cream, and he says it's too cold. And then I give him a hot cookie right out of the oven, and he says it's too hot. I mix them both together, and he doesn't like that either. Right? Like, that's what Jesus says. Y'all, y'all can't have it either way. You didn't like John because he was weird and didn't. He fasted just like y'all did, but you didn't like him. Then I come, and I'm a party animal. I like to hang out with people, not drinking and like that. But I like to spend time with people, and, and you didn't like me either. Right after Jesus' interaction with that, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. We should feel a little uncomfortable at this encounter that's about to happen. He entered, Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I got something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. The creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, the debtor, the uh, lender, graciously forgave them both. So, which of them will he will love him more? Simon answered, "I suppose the one he forgave more." You have judged correctly, he told him. A beautiful instance that follows the story that we began with. Okay, uh, there's a few things that we've got to understand before we understand the weight of what's going on. First off, this woman. Who is this woman that is that is knelt down or even laying at Jesus's feet? We know her to be, the Bible tells us she is a sinner. 
And I know you and I are thinking Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We're all sinners. But this word that's being used is a particular word that meant something to the Jewish people. The Jewish religious elite, they would have used this word sinner to refer to those who were morally or those who were ceremonially unclean. People that they needed to stay away from. This would have involved those who had crazy diseases that there was no known cure for and it would have spread like crazy had they hung out with people. So the religious elite, they stayed away from those kind of people. But it would have also involved those that were engaged in sexual sin. Almost always, that's what the reference is to. And so most scholars believe that this woman is a prostitute who's laying at Jesus' feet, okay? So that's important for us to understand. Now, whose house is Jesus at? He is at the Pharisee, uh, at a Pharisee's home. Pharisees, he does not always speak well of them, but this is a man named Simon. What you need to understand about Pharisees is uh, there were at least two major parties in the religious world in the Jewish, in the first century Jewish world. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were some other parties. Don't think political party. It wasn't political. It was religious. It was a, it was a certain way that they interpreted scripture. Okay. There were some differences, almost little denominations, if you will, different schools of thought. And so Simon was a one of the Pharisee party. And so he would have viewed the Bible a particular way. The Pharisees were well known for, for zooming in on the smallest details of the law, oftentimes zooming in so much that they missed the whole point, right? They zoomed in and focused on, they made sure that they kept the law, but they missed the whole point of what was going on. That's who the Pharisees are. And so let's, let's look at what happens. So we've looked at where now, uh, the who, the where, now let's look at the what. A woman comes in, this sinner, this prostitute comes in, and Jesus is there clearly as a rabbi to teach. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. And this, this, this prostitute comes in, she's weeping. And she comes up behind Jesus, and she's low enough to get at his feet. So we assume she's laying down or kneeling, and she's crying over his feet. And then she takes her hair and begins to, to, to mop up the, the tears off of his feet, if you will. And then it says that she also has an alabaster jar of perfume, which would have been expensive perfume, no doubt bought from the money that she made as a prostitute. And she breaks that jar open and pours it over his feet. Now, what we find out after this is that Simon is livid. He's ticked. And so in the situation, there's a, there's a few reasons why Jesus might, or why Simon might have been mad. First thing, here's a, here's, a, here's a woman who's using her hair to wipe somebody's feet. A woman's hair was, was her glory. A woman's hair was to be kept nice and neat. It was, it was a respectable thing to control your hair as a woman. And here she is using it to wipe somebody's feet. Come on. That could have ticked Simon off. It also could have made him mad that he was kissing her feet. Now, I did a lot of studying in preparation for this, and I can't find anything cultural about kissing feet. But can we all just admit that's gross no matter the culture? All right? I'm just going to tell you. I had a conversation about foot fetishes on the way in. I'm not going to get into that. But most of us who are normal don't like feet. Okay? And I don't want to kiss anybody's. My own, my wife's, my kids, maybe when they're a baby. You kind of get there. But that's it. After that... <laughs> That's it. Once they start sweating, I'm done with it. Once the shoes go in feet, it's done. And so not only that, so that could have ticked Simon off. Here's a guy who's, here's a woman who's, who's just letting her hair down and doing something that she shouldn't be doing with her hair. She's also um, kissing a man's feet, which is gross. And then 
But then she also is using perfume on his feet. Now, if you're like me, uh, and, and, and I've, I've, hey, you may use, lo- I don't know if I use lotion on my feet. I just said that. I don't use lotion on my feet, but I need to, okay? Maybe you got dry heels, okay? You might use a lotion on your feet. That's no, no shame if you do, because I just accidentally admitted that I do, okay? <laughs> Occasionally. Occasionally. All right? <laughs> All right, whatever. Okay, okay. Back on track. Y'all quit. <laughs> so maybe you need to use lotion on your feet. You're probably not going to use super-duper-duper duper expensive lotion on your feet. We buy ours from Walmart. You know what I mean? Like the, the whatever. Like this is a woman who's broken open a jar and she is using this very expensive perfume to just anoint Jesus' feet. Simon could have been very ticked at that. There's so many reasons why Simon could have been mad, but that is not why he's mad. He's not mad at the woman at all. He's mad at Jesus. Because Jesus is letting this sinner, this nasty, awful, sinful woman touch him. What a terrible excuse for a rabbi Jesus is in this moment. And in fact, notice in verse 39... Simon says to himself, Simon didn't even speak it out loud. But what he, what he says is, if this man were a prophet, if he were really a prophet like people think he is, then he would know who's touching his feet. He doesn't even say it out loud. Now here's the ironic thing. Jesus, who does have a special connection with God, does know exactly who that woman is and proves it to Simon by reading his mind. You know y'all can't hide nothing from God, right? Simon is saying if Jesus was actually a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman. He's insinuating that Jesus doesn't have the power from God to be a prophet. And all the while, Jesus is reading his mind. It's supposed to make you laugh, all right? It's funny to me. But then Jesus, he, he responds to Simon's thoughts, right? He doesn't acknowledge him. He says, Simon, I got something to say to you. Simon says, speak it, teacher, and he tells him this story. I'll just tell it in my words. Um, Two debtors who owed different amounts of money, one of them ten times larger than the other one, are both forgiven the debt because they can't pay. Jesus asked the question, which one of the two who were forgiven will love the lender more? Simon responds with the correct answer, Probably the one who uh, he forgave the most. The one who owed the 500. Jesus says, bingo. That's the point. That's what I've been trying to get across. And then he recaps how this woman, who nobody wanted to speak to when she came in, has been sitting at Jesus' feet, laying at his feet, kneeling at his feet, whatever, doing the very thing that everybody else should have been doing, serving him. While big man Simon is over in the corner and fussing about it. Jesus is using this story as an example. Yeah, you you can also be forgiven, Simon, but you probably don't think there's a lot to be forgiven of. This woman knows how broken she is. Simon, you're in a place of contentment and you don't think you need me. This woman knows how much she needs me. And she's broken at my feet. Jesus focuses on the broken, not on the content. And Jesus, as as he points Simon out, Then he tells him this. Therefore I tell you, verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven. Her many. He don't don't hide the fact 
that she's a sinner. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. You catch that? He don't he don't point at Simon, but he kind of does. You know what I mean? And then he turns his eyes to her, and this is so perfect. He turns his eyes to the woman now, and he says, "Your sins are forgiven." Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, "Who is this man who even forgives sins?" Jesus he ignores it. He looks at the woman. And he says, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." I love this. The owner of this home was wanting to have this woman removed from the premises, but instead Jesus makes her feel welcome. Though this was not his home, he showed hospitality and love and care for her. Jesus' hospitality was not like that of Simon the Pharisee because his love focused on the broken not the content. Jesus knew this woman had no place to go. Whatever circumstances had led her down this path, she probably felt that she had nowhere to turn and no one to turn to. But Jesus made time for her. Men in her life treated her like an item, like a a sexual pawn in their fantasies. That's how she's been treated by men in her life. How how you think she's been treated by the by the religious elite? She's been called worthless. She's been avoided. See her coming down the road. We'll get on the other side of the road. I don't want to be around her. All the men and all the rabbis and all the religious people in her life have condemned her and talked about her. And here, this rabbi, that everybody wants to come here, everybody wants to come hang out with, is so interested that he took time with her and he looks her in the eyes. Christians in the room, what impact would that have had on her? How heavy would that have been in her heart? And I'll say this, our hospitality must extend to all types of people. Not just those who are like us or those we are comfortable with. The moment that we begin to cast stones at those around us because of the sin in their life instead of serving them, who do we look like in this story? Not Jesus. I'm going to step off in an issue for a moment because it needs to be addressed and you can send Kenny your email complaints. He'll field those. I want to ask you a question. It's Kenny at lindsaylane.org, right? Listen, you know you're a sinner, right? You know that. We all do. And because of your sin, what has that earned you? What are you worthy of because of your sin? Death. Eternal separation in a real place called hell. That's what you deserve. But you fixed yourself, didn't you? You picked yourself up by your bootstraps. And you got your life back on track. Is that how it happened? Man, no. You know what happened? God intervened. That's what happened. God intervened in each one of our lives. If you're a Christian in the room, that's what happened. 
God intervened in your life. Christ came in and he changed you and he made you new. Did you do anything to save yourself? Be careful, church. The Bible says no. I don't know what you say. So let me ask a question. How in the world can we as Christians who have been changed look at real humans just like you and me? Who are walking around in their sin without yet having been changed like we have. How can we look on them with anything but compassion? How? How can we look at people who are struggling with particular sins that we find weird or gross. Or we even call an abomination. How can we treat them anything but well? Church cut the act. All sin is an abomination against God. The sins that you and I have committed are no worse than the sins of any other person on the earth. They all deserve hell and punishment. But we've been saved from it. The sins that God wiped clean in my life were just as bad as the ones I see people walking around in. Let me call it out for a second. If we as Christians go out of our way to ignore or reject someone simply because of a, of a, of a, of a sexual orientation or some sort of gender identity issue, who do we most look like in this story? Simon or Jesus? I'll tell you, it's Simon. It's Simon. That's all I want to say. Church, there can be no limit to the hospitality we show. There cannot be certain people that you and I are unwilling to reach to. It cannot be. The moment we do, we become Simon the Pharisee, not Jesus. Not Jesus. Our focus, our hospitality must be focused on the broken, not on the content. Moving on. Point number two. I know it seems like it's the invitation, but it's not yet. We're going to go downhill from here, okay? Point number two, Jesus focused on the sick, not the well. Go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Uh, this is another instance where we see the, the tax collectors and the Pharisees coming up. Jesus uh, went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax office. He said to him, follow me. He got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard this, you can't hide nothing from Jesus. When he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's what you need to know about this story, this section of scripture. It appears in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. And here, Matthew chapter 9. If there's a story that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you need to take note of it, okay? Because there's actually very few stories that will that word for word appear in all three, and this is one of those. So with nearly identical details, that's important. We need to take note. So what happens here? Jesus calls a man named Matthew, or the other gospels call him Levi, to be his follower. You know the most shocking part of it? He was a tax collector. The fact that you didn't gasp when I said that means we need to do some work in the text, okay? Because if I had said that in the first century, when people heard that Jesus is one of his first followers was a tax collector, 
everybody would have went, <gasps> they would have done that. And you didn't, so now I've got to do the context, all right? If you had gassed, we could have skipped this part, but you didn't. No do-overs, okay? All right. Because when the, those in the first century, when they heard this, they would have freaked out and said, Jesus, you're crazy. Listen, here's what you need. Jews during Jesus' day, they were living in occupied territory. Okay, they were living in the Roman Empire. The, Ro the Roman Empire that you heard about when you were in school. Okay, The Roman Empire. They were living under that regime. And that government, Roman government, did what all good governments do. They taxed their people, right? Not a political statement. Okay, Don't take that clip and put it somewhere. Okay, They taxed their people, though. And they needed people to head that up. They needed people um, to, to be tax collectors. They would, often, they would most often hire locals to be those tax collectors. Because they knew the people. So men like Matthew, who were hired by the Roman government to be tax collectors, were viewed as the scum of the earth because they sold out. They were sellouts. They were traitors to their own people, taking money and giving it to the Roman government. But they were also viewed as crooks. It was very, it's very hard. Well, some people pull it off, but then they wind up getting caught. It's very hard to steal money... Uh, as an IRS agent today, okay? Like there's a lot of checks and balances, a lot of accountability. The accountability in the first century was a dude in a stall, like picture, like outhouse, okay? Like with a hole cut out of it and a pad and a pen, okay? Like that was it. There was very little accountability. So you can imagine how easy it would have been for someone to take just a little bit extra, Add an extra half a percent. Round up instead of rounding down or keeping it the same, right? And even if they didn't, even if a tax collector didn't take extra money, they could easily be accused of it because there, was, there were very little checks and balances. So none of us like how we're taxed today. Imagine if it was a dude in a stall just coming up with a number off the top of his head. So Jesus calls this type of guy who everybody hates to be his follower. And what happens next? It says that Jesus is reclining at the table in the house. Now, we don't know. doesn't say Matthew's house here. We're going to find out here in a second that it seems that it probably is. Verse 10. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Right? Many, not just one or two, many. That's why this is more than likely Matthew's house. Nobody else would have allowed a bunch of tax collectors and sinners into their house except for Matthew. Matthew probably didn't have a lot of friends outside of his little, uh, his little Facebook group of tax collectors. Right? That, that was it. That was who he hung out with. And when he met Jesus, those are the people that he invited to come and meet this new teacher. And then the Pharisees, who do a good job of keeping an eye on things, peeking in windows, especially when Jesus is inside. They catch a glance, right? The Pharisees see this. The Pharisees, again, were well known by the way they followed the law of God to the letter. And they would have avoided anybody who the world looked at as a sinner. I would have avoided sinful tax collectors. And here is a man, Jesus, claiming to be a rabbi, 
claiming to be a Jewish teacher, eating a meal in the house of a tax collector with a house full of tax collectors. And that's why Jesus' disciples, uh, that's why the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. I imagine it was a whisper. You know what I mean? They didn't ask Jesus. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, what are you doing here, man? They get over in the corner. Hey, come here. They didn't ask Jesus. But what does verse 12 say? When he heard this. They did, they, see, they didn't know that Jesus had already read Simon's mind when he came to his house, so they wouldn't have tried to whisper. If Jesus can read your mind, he can hear your whisper, okay? Um, so Jesus says, when he heard this, when he heard him say it, I can imagine over in the corner, right? When he heard this, he said, hey, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And this is beautiful. Who do you think Jesus is talking about when he refers to those who are sick? Sinners, tax collectors, and sinners. That's right. Tax collectors and sinners. They're much quieter than the first service. Much quieter. It's okay. The tax collectors. These people knew they were outcasts. They knew they didn't belong. Because people had told them that they didn't belong. And then this popular Jewish rabbi begins to hang out with them. So it would have been so cool for them. But Jesus' point probably goes a little further, right? Um, there doesn't seem, there doesn't have to be a group that aligns with the whale group. Right? He could easily have made this and just said, hey, I mean, I'm, not here, I'm not here to help the whale. I'm here to help the sick. Y'all know who I'm talking about when I say sick. But it seems from the story and from the rest of Jesus' teaching that this is a little jab, isn't it? Who were the well that didn't think they needed a doctor? The Pharisees. They were the Pharisees. They were doing just fine earning God's favor on their own. They were good. We're keeping the law. That's all we need. Jesus might well as, as well have been saying. So, okay, let me get you straight. Instead of hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners who like need, they, they're in need and they're asking for help. They're, they need to be taught the word of God. They need to be loved and cared for. They feel alone. Instead of me spending my time with those people, y'all think I should be hanging with you? You bunch of stuck up jerks, right? I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth. But I think he would have said it. I don't think the word jerk translates into Greek. But I think he would. This is a, or Aramaic. This is he would have said this. The Savior is standing in front of you Pharisees, and you still won't acknowledge that you need me. <laughs> My ministry is here among these people. I'm just going to say dude, it's it's easier to be a doctor to people that are well, isn't it? Like sign me up for that. I ain't got to go to school for that. I can take your blood pressure, listen to your heart, and charge you 150 bucks, right? Like, I can do that. But it takes a real doctor to help somebody who's sick. Because you come to me coughing, I don't know what's causing that. You come to me with an ailment, a pain, I don't know what's causing that. It's easier to be a, doc, to be a doctor to those who are well. It takes effort and wisdom to be a doctor to the sick. Christians in the room. 
We need to be hospitable to people who seem to have it all together. But that's easy hospitality, isn't it? Somebody come over to your house and they've had a great week and they're so pumped and their kids are well behaved. <laughs> how that ever happened but like or like whatever like somebody comes to your house and like everything goes well and everything's been good in their life like that's easy man i can do that with my eyes closed i ain't even got to clean my house up because you don't care you're in such a good mood but it's harder isn't it to sit down across the table and share a meal with somebody who's hurting somebody who's been through some difficulties recently who's had a Sorry week. That's harder. But it's the very thing that God has called us to. We can't take the easy path in our hospitality and only spend time with people who are easy to hang out with. We've got to spend time with everyone. Don't choose the easy road when it comes to your hospitality because when we spend time with those who don't have it all together and those that are willing to admit and, and share their heart, when we spend time with them, that is a greater representation of the gospel than the other way. Jesus focused on the sick, not the well. Point number three, Jesus focused on the lost, not the found. So flip over uh, to, to Luke chapter 14 and 15. Um, the conversation comes up again. Big shocker. Jesus, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Chapter 14, Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee's house again. We don't know if this is Simon, whether it's the same time he was at Simon's house, whether it's another time he was at Simon's house, or whether this is a whole different dude altogether. We don't know. But what we do know is that there Jesus heals a man and he begins to teach. And the last thing Jesus teaches and found um, at the end of chapter 14, and he's explaining the high cost of following him. And the very next statement is this in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, when are they going to learn? When are we going to learn? The tax collectors are the ones coming to listen. The Pharisees and the scribes are the ones separating and fussing and complaining. And here they bring it up again. Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with them. If you have your Bible open to chapter 15, what's the first word of verse 13? I mean, verse 3. So, if you're new to the church and you haven't been around long, that word's important. Anytime you see the word so, then, therefore, because of that, if you ever see that one, but when you see these words, those are what I call just connecting words. They're, they're connecting two ideas. It's connecting what was just said to what is about to be said. So Jesus is saying the religious leaders, we're seeing the text, the religious leaders are mad that Jesus is hanging out with all these tax collectors and sinners. They're questioning him and complaining. So Jesus tells a parable. So we can't look at this parable except in light of what was just said. So these parables have directly to do with the complaining of the Pharisees and scribes. He actually tells three parables, all conveying nearly the same message. The first one, he talks about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and he loses one. And Jesus asks the question, what does he do? Let it die? No. It says he leaves the 99 in an open pasture, 
and goes and finds the one and brings it back. And then Jesus says, what are you going to do after that? He says, he's going to throw a party and invite all of his friends and neighbors. That's what Jesus says. The first guy will do. Then he talks about um, a woman who, uh, who, oh, sorry, then 15 verse 7. So then Jesus says, after he throws the party and invites his friends and neighbors, Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Then Jesus tells a story of a woman with 10 silver coins who loses one. What does she do? Let it go? She's still got nine. Ain't bad. No, she lights a lamp, sweeps the whole house and searches for it carefully. Then, guess what she does? She finds it and then she throws a party. Lots of parties being thrown. I'm telling you, Jesus loved it. He says she throws a party, invites her friends and her neighbors, celebrates. I found the coin. Then Jesus says in verse 10, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus tells a story of a father who has two sons. The younger son comes to his dad one day and says, Dad, can I get an advance on my inheritance? And so the father says, sure. He grants this request. He, the son moves off and blows it quickly, as any of us would have done when we were 15 if we fell into money. He winds up begging for a job to make ends meet. His job, feeding pigs. It gets so bad in the younger son's life that he gets to a place where even the pig slop looks good. And it's in that moment, while at rock bottom, that he realizes, man, even my dad's servants have it better than I do right now. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize and beg for my dad's mercy. And I'm going to volunteer to be a servant in his house. At least I don't have to eat pig slop. And so... He rehearses it all the way home. Do you guys, like, if you got a meeting coming up, do you talk through that meeting? Are, are any of you guys just fly by the seat of your pants? Like, you got a big important meeting, and you're just going to, like, show up? Jake, <laughs> Jeff, God bless you all. I wish I could do it. Like, if you say, hey, if you call me and say, hey, can we meet for lunch? Just know I've thought 50 to 100 different ways that conversation is going to go, and I've thought about every single thing that you might be wanting to talk to me about, okay? And maybe you just wanted to buy my lunch. Or me by your lunch, whatever. But like that's the way my mind thinks. And so the son, on the way home, he, he, he's on his way home and he's running through the thing. Okay, I'm sorry, Father, I've sinned against you. Please just set me back as your servant. He's rehearsing it all the way home. And he sees his, his father sees him a long way off. And it says that the father goes to the son. And he meets the son and the son begins. He starts his script, right? He's rehearsed it all the way. I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I've done something stupid. Please accept and his father stops him before he ever gets finished with it. It's the most beautiful part of the whole story. The father doesn't even let him finish the apology and the idea that he has. And he restores him to full sonship. And what does he do? I bet you know, based on the context, when you get the thing back that you were missing, you throw a party. That's right. You throw a party. And you invite your friends and neighbors but at the end of this one, we don't get the same thing. In the other two, we saw, you know, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents thing. Instead, we hear about this older son. Jesus takes a different route here. He tells a story about the older son, who was the model son, who, 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 who didn't run off and, 
and who stayed faithful right next to his dad the whole time. But he won't come into the party. Right? Like he won't go in. He stays outside. Because he's jealous of the way the other son is being treated. He thinks he deserves the party. I'm the one who stayed with dad the whole time. He's the dirtbag who spent half our money. Verse 31. The father responds in the story to the son. Son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had today, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Jesus doesn't make the connection here, but who do you think, in light of the story, Pharisees, tax collectors, and sinners, who's the younger son? Tax collectors and sinners. Thank you all for whispering again. Tax collectors and sinners. Some of them have done awful things. They've squandered the blessings of God. God, their father, Jesus says that when they repent and return, that's worth celebrating. And who's on the outside? Pharisees, the older son. They're on the outside looking going, I can't believe Jesus is doing that. Now why you don't spend more time with us? We ain't never got no party. They're fussing and complaining over in the corner just like the older brother, shaking their head. The message is, get in the party and celebrate because sinners are meeting the Savior. Can you imagine Pharisees upset that people who once were far from God are now sitting down at the table with Him? Christians in the room. The easiest thing to do is to spend all of our time with other believers. Text other believers during the week. Have them into our home. Go out and eat with them. Sit with them at the ball field. And listen, it's not wrong. At least on three occasions in the New Testament, uh, the, the apostles that write the letters later in the New Testament write to be hospitable to one another in the church. Romans twelve thirteen says, Share with the saints in need. Saints is a reference to, to believers. And then he says, pursue, Paul says, Pursue hospitality. Now, it's a good thing to be hospitable to other Christians and people from your church family, but is that the only thing that we are to be doing? We've seen in three different occasions here that Jesus was spending quality time with people who were not actively obedient to God's word. You see that, right? The woman knelt down washing his feet, the tax collectors in Matthew's home, and now the tax collectors and sinners who are gathered here, none of them were church people, okay? It's not who they were. They were not church people. But Jesus sat with them. He talked with them. No doubt laughed with them. If you don't see Jesus' humor, slow down. It's all over it. He shared meals with them. And every single time he did, he was questioned about it. But he always had an answer. He said, I'm a lender who's here to forgive. I'm a doctor who's here to heal. And I'm a father here in search of my lost son. Jesus set an example, a great example of what it means to be hospitable. 
from last week to this week, I've held on to this definition till this very moment. The Greek word for hospitality in the New Testament is the word philoxenia. I'm butchering that. I hate that we live stream this. We need to erase that part from the video because it's bad. But this is a compound word that's made up of two words, friend and stranger. I love that image. Two very different words slammed together to make one really big point. Church, when you are called, when we are called to be hospitable, it means that we must treat strangers as our friends. That's what the word means. And I just pray that that is what we would be known as here at Lindsay Lane East. This morning, I pray God has stirred in you in some way, some way. The major way, I'm just going to be straight with you, the way he's moved in me is the reminder that everyone around me is deserving of my love and hospitality. Everybody. And they're worthy of the same love and hospitality that my closest friends and my family are. That's heavy. But that's the gospel. There can be no restrictions on who I will show love to. And I can't always choose the easy route. And I must be about seeking the lost, just like Jesus did. This same Jesus that modeled hospitality so well laid down his life on the cross. The Bible says that his death was the payment that you and I were supposed to pay because of our sin. He took on the sin and the shame of the whole world so that we might have life. By turning from my sin, believing in Jesus as the only one who could fix this messed up self, committing my life to follow him, I was changed. The power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can be too. We would love to talk with you about that. If you've never trusted in Jesus' name to be saved, we would love to help you do that. This last song is an opportunity for you to to get that done, for us to have that conversation. We're going to have decision counselors by the back door, and I'm also going to be up front. Come talk to me. Go talk to them, whichever way works better for you. We'd love to talk with you about how you can trust in Jesus. We'd also love to talk with you about joining this church. We've seen three families in the last two months join this fellowship. We've got a few more that we're working with to get that step done. You can be the fourth. You can be the fourth. We'd love to talk with you about that. Also talk with you about any other decisions that want, that you'd like to make. Um, if you noticed, um, our stage is decorated, strangely, as it were, with cards. Um, these are Easter invite cards. And, uh, man, I can't think of a better way to put into action what we just talked about than to go be hospitable and invite somebody to come and join us at Easter. We're having three services. And I've gotten the question, do we really need three services? God, I hope so. Lord Jesus, please help us need three services. Oh, we only need three services if we get after it. And we choose to be hospitable this week and next. we got a Saturday night service at 6.30 here, Sunday morning, 9 and 10.45. We're asking everybody here, every family, to pick up free cards, either from the altar during this invitation to come and to kneel down and pray over your three cards. Pray for the specific names that God lays on your heart. You can, you can do that as part of your invitation. 
Or you can grab free cards at Next Steps on your way out. If you'd rather do that, that's fine. You don't have to come forward and do that. But we're going to offer this opportunity because, and as I told the first service, if you've got somebody that you know is looking for a church home who's already a church person, man, and they're like, they're on the fence, they, they are kind of in between churches or whatever, invite them to come. But based on the message, like just everything we just talked about, right? That's easy, isn't it? It's easier to invite someone here that you know might very well say yes. And it's so much harder to look somebody in the eye that you don't know what they're going to say. You don't know whether they love Jesus or not. Or you may know that they don't. But to speak love to them and say, would you please join me for Easter? Because remember, Jesus came not for the sick, but for the well. For the broken, not the content. So during this invitation time, um, you can come and kneel and pick up your three cards and pray over them. Or you can wait and pick them up at next steps. The invitation will also be open in the ways it always is. I'll be down front. Decision counselors by the back door. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll all stand and worship. And you can worship through response, however that is. Father, we thank you, God, um, that in Jesus uh, we have this perfect example of what it looks like to love and to show honor to others that don't feel like they deserve honor. And God, uh, that's a high calling. And I felt the heaviness of it this week. God, just thinking about what it looks like to, to love those who are very different from me. God, to love those that our world and considers outcasts or different or weird. God, you've called us as the church to reach out to all types of people. God, help, people, help us at Lindsay Lane East. Help all of us, God, uh, to see people the way you do. God, not the way the world does. I pray for this time of response, God, that you would lead us in whatever way you've laid on our hearts. God, I pray that we would all take next steps to make an impact for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray.